Money FM 89.3. Best of the evening runway. Culture Club. Money FM 89.3. Good evening. It is the evening runway. I'm Elliot Danker. It's time now for Culture Club. Let's talk about the rapidly evolving fashion landscape. Terms like sustainability, ethical consumption, these dominate the conversations there. But one concept that truly requires more attention is inclusivity. And in the fashion world, that means catering to individuals of all abilities and disabilities, ensuring that everyone feels represented and valued. Now, adaptive Fashion refers to apparel that is suitable for individuals with, say, a physical or sensory disability, perhaps uh, having difficulty dressing or wearing standard clothing, things that are easy for you and I, right? Well, far from simply being a narrow niche concern, the adaptive fashion market is projected, well, to be worth some $400 billion by the year 2026. That says a lot. Now, though several specialist manufacturers of adaptive apparel do exist, major fashion houses and brands have been quite slow to get off the mark. Well, today we are speaking to a Singaporean fashion designer who recognizes this very need. From hands-free dressing systems to wheelchair accessible clothing in the studio with me is claudia poe who is the founder of wearable and she's on a mission to make clothes to empower stroke survivors and those with limited mobility claudia welcome to the studio how are you thank you so much for having me elliot thanks a lot for taking the time to come in let's talk a little bit about when and why you decided to pursue fashion designing as a career before we get into adaptive fashion i was eight years old i had to pick a cca Okay. And initially it was supposed to be ballet And then I brought the pamphlet to my mom And she was like, is there a CCA that's free? <laughs> a CCA that's free? What yeah, it- you don't have to buy the leotard You don't oh, have to right, buy the shoes right, right. So therein lies my career It started with uh, the Budding Artist Club at right. CHIJ When oh, I was 8 years old Okay, you got an IJ go look at- <laughs> and, and you pursued a degree at Parsons uh, yes. in, in fashion Tell me more about that I moved initially first to the UK And I did a foundation degree at Central mm. St. Martin Okay. Then I was offered a scholarship to Parsons Paris And then I booted right over to Parsons New York Because wow. there were so many options there So I really did the trifecta if you think about it mm. And took some time for me to really understand Why design was important to me And at the basis of it all It was just being able to make my own choices Enabling other people to make their own choices too Yeah, and, and that's where wearable comes in It's not yes. just about fashionable clothes Tell me a little bit about the evolution of this brand so I started designing adaptive fashion because during my time in New York, a friend was diagnosed with ALS. So okay. progressively, her arms became paralyzed yeah. and we were trying to figure out, hey, we were supposed to know how to make clothes very well, right? So how are we going to make life better for someone we actually know? Okay. So we started hacking her clothes so that she could get dressed using her feet. We built inflatable structures into her skirts and to her pants. Wow. We tried Everything we could think of And then when I came back home to Singapore I tried to make something for my grandma She had a mouth stroke And she refused to wear it Because she would say that Oh, I don't need help You know, I can do this by myself And I realised that Framing um, The words that I use to describe what I do Matter a great deal I don't ever want to single anyone out For their experience And I just want to make something useful That people around me would use You know Tell me about this (laughs) And it's got my attention here Framing 
the way or the the work that you do. And that causes people to feel singled out. So how do you navigate this? It's tough because like persons with disabilities and the aging population, they are, if you think about it, two separate target audiences. And we're going to fall into eventually one of them. Yeah. If you think about it. I mean, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. Right? For sure. The friend that we designed for, Christina Mellon, she, at that time when she was working in advertising, she said something so remarkable. I still remember to this day. She said, we're only temporarily able. Exactly. Wow. So how do you approach this now? I mean, we have been quite open to say that it's adaptable fashion design. How do you approach this issue now? Say if, given the experience you have, you have to design or you have to show, say, a stroke survivor or a stroke recovery patient how to use your clothes. I would start off by asking them questions because right. not everyone experiences stroke the same way. Fair. I figure out what challenges they might have, what kind of clothes they love to wear mm. that they perhaps you know, is just sitting in the back of their wardrobe. Mm-hmm. And I start making suggestions from there because I don't, I don't really know anything about someone else's experience. Okay. I'm just really here to learn, experiment, to create something innovative. So from there, I'll make suggestions. Oh, perhaps you have trouble with buttons. Okay. Is it yeah. reduced dexterity in your fingers or mm. is it... Are you looking for a dress that you can put on with without having to raise your arm to a certain degree? Mm. So how can we reduce pain? How can we make dressing more dignified so you don't have to ask people for help? Dignified. Okay, I like the choice of words there. So does this mean that wearables collection is concerned things are made, like ready to wear or does it have to be like custom made? So we have a few offerings. One is alterations for people who might not have the budget for brand new clothing. So if I was in that category, say touch wood, I had a stroke, I recovered, but I really like this t-shirt that I'm wearing. So I come to you and you find a solution for me that I can still keep this 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 t-shirt? Yeah, that's one option for okay, the alterations. Okay, okay. Alternatively, you can also buy one of our pre-existing ready-to-wear pieces that are mm. available on our website. We also work with hospitals, pharmaceutical companies, rehab centers for more generic data sets. So, for example, we collaborated with Stroke Support Station. Nice. There was like a repetitive need for like shirts without buttons mm. or perhaps you're not able to use your dominant hand. How would you get dressed? So there were commonalities in all these data sets and all these people. And we said, you know, how can we better address this need? Because it's universal. If I wanted to get dressed with one hand, there is a value proposition there in itself that would be helpful for me, say a person who doesn't have a disability. That's where wearable comes in. We are looking for challenge statements that prove that this market is not niche. Okay. It's huge. <laughs> yeah, it is huge. It is huge. But Claudia, if you don't mind, I'd like to turn back time yeah, a little course. bit. Take it back to younger Claudia who is in Parsons studying mm. a degree in fashion. What was your point of view of fashion back then when you first entered the university? When I first entered the university, I functioned a little bit more like a product designer. Okay. If you ask me who Did my... Did you fa- have a dream at that time? and A, a goal? Oh, Tell me about it. The goal was to create something useful. So I always looked at improving how clothes can be worn, how they can be right. stored. I thought laundering clothing was very annoying. I thought this concept of having to iron things and hang them up was like <laughs> such a chore. So I would design chairs to accommodate for coats that have different lengths, even though people would step on them. Um, I That was the kind of designer in person. I just wanted to make practical things. But I was never sure right. practical for who. Practical for me. But who really cares about me? Okay. <laughs> Fast forward. Yes. What's your point of view now? I mean, you've seen... Mm. And you've seen these, these real-life cases. Mm. Surely that changes a person. 
it changed me a lot. Okay. It also taught me to exercise empathy, but also remember that you're also running a business and that you have to make strategic decisions that can allow you to grow this market. One of my closest friends said to me that, you know, you can help this one person today mm. and then you close shop. So how are you going to survive? You mm-hmm. have to say yes to very specific things and you can't say yes to everything. So that's caused me to to mature a lot as a business owner. <laughs> I, I like your choice of words, mature there. But, yeah, but I'm curious, right? Because obviously you can't design the clothes that you've designed, the functionality that you've designed without having a heart. Yeah. But it's the struggle of having a heart, but at the same time, you got to run a business. How do you find that balance? I don't really say no. I, I'm pretty sure this is going to get sure. me at some point. Like, okay. I don't really say no. I just say not now. So we started with a very strong focus on fashion, partnering with Vogue Singapore and also making sure that we were catering to a much more style-specific and uh, fashion-focused consumer. And while that might not meet the needs of the general population today, it was very much necessary for us to stand out from a Mm. very much saturated market in fashion, Mm. especially in Singapore. No one needs more t-shirts or cargo pants. We want to do something visually compelling just as much. So from there, I have to make the necessary compromises. And three years later, I realized, oh, it actually matters a lot to me that, um, say, day-to-day consumers who might not be able to afford our solutions have their needs met too. That's why we launched the alteration service because Mm. I couldn't sleep at night. (laughs) (laughs) Have to have their Mm. needs met too I mean, pardon me being blunt, Mm. what would you know about that? So how Mm. does an able-bodied fashion designer design for someone who's not able-bodied? People write to us all the time. There's a lot inbound. You'd be surprised. And... And once we get those emails, once we get those WhatsApp messages, all Claudia really does is just she puts them into like focus groups, she bundles them, oh. she takes them to an organization that okay. might represent them or perhaps pay for the research and development. Okay. And then we think about how we can scale and bring this into market for other people who might want to order this. Mm. So they, they don't okay. know that their challenge is, is not just isolated. And I am in the business of connecting people. Right. Now, here's the business owner question. <laughs> it is one thing to design. I mean, usually you start off, okay, you go mass market. Obviously, mm-hmm. adaptive fashion wear is not mass market yet, but it is a huge industry. Mm-hmm. Have you toyed with the whole issue of the luxury market? Because let's face it, I mean, it's not a stereotype. Anyone can fall in that bracket. So you have high-end people who enjoy a certain type of clothing, a certain sense of fashion. How do you, how do you manage that? I think what I'm curious about is like what are the challenges to manage in these sort of circumstances and for who because it might be perceived as a problem to some and and a caveat and a a joy to have for others I think what is mainly the challenge thus far is that if something is perceived as a luxury Mm. what's going to warrant that price point and at the end of the day is it who made the clothes what material is it made of is it the fact that it's manufactured in Singapore is it because it's also sustainable Mm. What are the values that you want to wear on your sleeve as a consumer and what will you pay for? Yeah, but it's easy for, I mean, as long as you've got a good spin to it and you put out these values, which a lot of companies do. And the reason Mm -hmm. I brought this up is because you've got these big fashion brands that charge Mm -hmm. exorbitant amounts. Mm -hmm. Should fashion brands, the big ones, be Mm -hmm. more inclusive? I think Or or should you be down to the little guy to, to, to work it out? That's not fair because it is a huge market. 
oh, oh no one's ever asked me that question. <laughs> I guess another reason why I'm not going to sleep tonight. <laughs> Off the top of my head, I am very glad that other bigger brands are not doing this. <laughs> okay, for sure. Yeah, because I think you have to be very agile. You have to make time and space for research and development so much more than the current seasonal cycle can yeah. afford. They, yeah. they don't have That's the time. That's a whole department if you think about it. They don't have the time to burn for, for the research that we have to do, the right. testing, the people that you have to meet. And on top of that, we have to meet the same sort of requirements. On top of adaptive functions, we also have to think about style. We yeah. also have to think about color. We also have to think about size. <laughs> is, that an, is that an opening perhaps for some a company like Wearable to collaborate then? I mean, how do you manage? I mean, what, what? how many staff do you have? How do you manage this entire business? Oh, we have six people on the team right now. Okay. It feels like you Li- yeah, the, yeah, they're listening in. I love you guys. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, on that note, yeah. yes, we do need more. And also because we are shifting from a B2B, uh, B2C uh, model to a B2B one. Right, right. So, um, yeah, we're working with pharmaceutical companies as I mentioned earlier to develop care packages for their clients so they Mm. already have treatments for Mm. specific diseases for Mm. example and we just want to create pieces that could accommodate very specific needs such as psoriasis for example yeah wow that's uh, that's interesting just a final question Claudia what are your long-term goals for wearable what's next for you well, we're looking to go to market in China as well, mm. Australia. Uh, Australia has um, huge support in terms of their insurance scheme, so yeah. it makes a lot of sense to... They've got a very good medical ecosystem yeah. there as well. Yeah, and in the more immediate future, we will be at Singapore Boutique Fairs at F1 Pit from the 17th to the 19th of uh, no, it's November, right? Yeah, November. <laughs> so I have no sense of time anymore. I, I can imagine. It's <laughs> it's not easy. But we do appreciate your yes. time today. I've been speaking with Claudia Poe, who's the founder of Wearable. Thank you again. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.